Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Are you ready to hear the word of the Lord this morning? Awesome, awesome. Pull out your notes because we are a note-taking church. And uh, praying this morning, Holy Spirit will speak to you and that we'll leave here more in love with Jesus, that he will come and transform our thinking, help us to more know him better. Can you say amen? amen? Father, today we ask that you would help us to unlearn any unhealthy images and help us to know who you are. Help us to fall in love with our heavenly Father in a deep and a, in a wonderful way. Transform us, speak to us today, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. amen. This morning I'm titling the message... What robe does he wear? What robe does he wear? In, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked this question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can I remind you this morning that when Jesus asked a question, he wasn't looking for information. When God asks you a question, he's not looking for answers. He already knows everything. When God asks you a question, he's trying to reveal to you something you need to know. In fact, remember when Jesus was 12 years old? And Mary forgot him. <laughs> and they come back and they find Jesus doing what? He's in the temple asking questions. Can I tell you, he wasn't asking questions of the leaders trying to learn something. He was actually trying to teach them something at 12 years old. Remember, and they said, where did he get this understanding? Where does he get this? God asks you questions so that you can learn something that he wants you to know either about him or about you. And what you think is very important. In fact, A.W. Towser, in his classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he makes this statement, and I quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. So when you hear the term God, what comes to your mind? I, I Googled last night, I Googled... Um, uh, I said, Google, um, how many names are in the Bible for God? And Google told me last night, 955 names. How many of you know Google never lies? <laughs> 955 names for God in the Bible. And the question is this morning, what is the image that comes to your mind? What robe does he wear? See, if he's king of kings and lord of lords, if that's the first image that comes to your mind, then you're going to see him in a kingly robe. You're going to see everybody nervously bowing down before him, and, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. Absolutely. Can you say amen to that? Or, or maybe it's a high priest. Maybe it's a priest. He is a high priest, the greatest of all high priests, and you see him in a priestly robe. However, do you realize that there was a day and an age in the United States, Time Magazine, several years ago, put out a survey asking people what was the image that they had of God, 
And do you realize that 75% of the people, you know what their image of God was? A judge. An angry, mean, violent judge. That was the image that I grew up with. That was the image that, of God that I had. And, 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 and that God was up there just looking over the heavens, waiting for you to blow it. So he could lower the gavel, dangle you over hell. That's the image that so many people had. Why is that? Because for, between the Old Testament and New Testament, there was 400 years that the Holy Spirit didn't move. And the only way that religious leaders could control people was to add more rules and regulations to control them. Religion wants to control you. Can I tell you, we didn't come here for religion. We came here for relationship with Jesus. Can you say amen? But see, in your notes, I want you to understand that your self-image and your behavior will be greatly affected by the image that you have of God. If God is a big, mean judge, then you're going to mentally be walking around in orange prison jumper suits. You're going to be scared. It's going to, you're going to be fearful and afraid it's going to sap the very life out of you. It's going to rob you of the freedom that God wants you to have. In fact, can I remind you in your notes, it's in there, Galatians chapter 5 says, it is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. Hallelujah. He wants us to be free. And when you're walking around in fear and intimidation, you can't be free. See, I would never, ever join a church. And thank God Radiant is not like this. Thank you, Jesus. But I would never join a church where the rules were more important than the people. Amen? People are more important than rules. Rules are important. We want to know what side of the road to drive on. We want to know the speed limit. We want to know when it's safe to pass and when it's not safe to pass. Rules are good. But listen, rules are not more important than people. And listen, if, if God, if your image of God is a judge, can I tell you, it's going to affect the way you live. Number one in your notes, rules will outweigh relationship. Can I tell you that God is not so in concerned about you dotting every uh, I and crossing every T and, and, and getting everything mechanically correct. He wants a relationship with you. I have two children. My, my daughter's 37. My son's 34. And them growing up, listen, I, I wanted them to obey me. But can I tell you, even more so, I wanted them to love me. And when you love someone, you will obey them. We get the cart before the horse. Rules are not more important than relationship. And if God is a judge, then you're going to be more concerned about not breaking the rules so that you can escape judgment. But number two, if God is a judge, can I tell you, you're going to be governed by fear. And fear torments. We should not live a life of fear. It breaks my heart to know that the majority of people that are living today live under a spirit of fear. 
We saw that magnified two or three years ago when, with, with, with what we went through. Everybody was just so quick to give up freedoms. Why? Because of fear. God doesn't want us to live in, spirit, in a spirit of fear. In 1 John 4, 18, look at it. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with torment. And he who fears is not made perfect in love. Anytime I experience fear, I have to remind myself that that is not from God, that, that, that there is a dimension of his love that I'm yet to learn and understand. Number three, if God is a judge, then you will always find yourself avoiding him. And can I tell you, when you blow it, when you make a mistake, when you sin, you don't need to be running from God. You need to be running to God so that he can help you, so that he can forgive you, so that he can restore you. But if you see yourself as, as him as a judge, then you're going to be running from him at the very moments that you should be running to him. If God is a judge, number four, above everything else, you sure don't want him to know your name right? I don't want the judge to know my name. I've been in too many courtrooms, not because of me. I just want you to understand that. I, I've been there as a character witness. And can I tell you, I hate courtrooms. They're nervous. I'm nervous. I'm sitting there listening to all the different cases before my friend goes up there. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm nervous. The only courtroom I love to be in is one when there's an adoption taking place. Ooh, that's fun. But, but listen, but we don't want to be on his mind. If he's your judge, you don't want him to know your name. You don't want him to know, uh, be on his mind. You don't want to be on his agenda. But I've come here to Tampa from Michigan to tell you this morning that Jesus did not come to reveal a judge. Jesus came to reveal A father. Now, aren't you glad I'm wearing a robe and not my boxers like I normally do? That's, that would not be pretty. If it was Pastor Aaron, he would probably do it. But wait a minute. God didn't come to reveal a judge who's wanting to get even with you. God came to reveal a heavenly father. Don't you love our heavenly father? See, in Philippians chapter 14, verse 8, he's about to go to the cross, and he has this conversation with Philip, and Philip says, Lord, would you show us the Father? That would be enough for us. And Jesus says, Philip, don't you understand? Have you not caught it yet? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? And I want to remind you this morning Radiant. God is not the angry God that I grew up with. God is a heavenly father who loves you and cares for you. Can I tell you that will affect the way you behave? That will affect the way that you believe and live. Can I remind you this morning that a good father, a good father protects us? He protects us. Listen, I love being a man. <laughs> 
I, I, sorry, ladies, I love being a man. And here's one of the reasons why. I love to protect people. I love to jump in harm's way. I'd probably be like that poor Marine up in New York, you know, in trouble right now. Although I probably couldn't do what he did. But, he but I'm just saying, I love to protect people. I love to stand in harm's way. Because you know why? That's what men do. That's what men do. I, I love, listen, I love whenever I walk into a room, every woman in that room ought to feel a little bit safer because I walked in the room. They shouldn't feel like a piece of meat being checked out. They should feel secure and safe. Why? Because that's what men do. And that's what God does. God is not out there to beat you. God is out there to protect you. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He, he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Number two, a good father, let me tell you what a good father does. A good father provides for us. He will supply, Philippians 4.19, he will supply and meet every need. Can I tell you, it would hurt me as a dad if I came home from work when my children were little and they would be meet me at the front door, wringing their hands. Daddy, can, will we eat today? Daddy, will we get kicked out of our house today? It would break my heart to think that my children was worried and fret about whether they would be able to eat or have clothes. Can I tell you, you need not worry. You need not be afraid. He is a good father, and he will supply and meet every need that you might have. Could you give Jesus praise this morning? He's a good, good God. Number three, I want to remind you this morning that a good father always encourages us. He always encourages us. And Joshua, when he was about to go into the promised land, he said to him, he said, listen, I'm giving you this commandment. Be strong. Come on, Joshua. Be courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. He will encourage you. My son, Caleb, that's his name. Caleb means a man with a different spirit. And my son was well-named. He, he always had such a well, a tender spirit, caring, loving. He still is that way at 34 years old. But I remember when he was nine, he started playing basketball. That was his favorite sport. And, um, but, but Caleb was always so polite that whenever the opposing team was coming down with the basketball, he would step back and go, here, let me help you. <laughs> I, I, and I was that guy in the stands, you always knew I was there. You know what I'm saying? I was pretty loud, you know, I was pretty obnoxious. Now, I didn't scream at the refs and all that kind of stuff, but I was like, go team, go, 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 Caleb, go. I mean, I was always that guy. Ah! And I remember one day after, I, I just couldn't handle it much longer. We, he played several games and I'm like, oh, we got to do We have a talk, boy. We got to have a talk. I said, son, listen, you, you got you to gotta get aggressive out there. I said, I said, son, if you don't get a foul, what's a foul, dad? I said, dad, that means that you, 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 know, you inappropriately hit somebody. And, and you can see the confusion in his mind. Here's my preacher dad telling me I should hit somebody. I mean, he's, he was really confused. And I said, you, you got to get out there and go for that ball. You got to steal the ball. And he's like, Steal? You want me to steal? I thought I wasn't supposed to steal. And I mean, and, but, but, he, but he got it. He got, I, said, I said, son, 
If you play a full game and don't commit a couple of fouls, that means you didn't play hard enough. Well, that next game, he get out there. I remember he, he, he went for the ball. He, got, he, he fouled, you know, and foul! And called his number. And I, yeah, Caleb, come on! And they're all, everybody's looking at me like, what in the world? He fouled him. Not make, you know, second time, come on, Caleb, that's the way to go! Yeah! I remember his third foul. He literally stopped, looked and found me in the stands and went, That's what daddy does. Daddy gives you courage to do things that you couldn't do without him. That's what your God is doing. He's up there rooting for you. He is for you, not against you. Can you give Jesus praise this morning? He's a good father. Number four, a good father will discipline you. But don't misunderstand discipline. He isn't doing it because he's angry at you. He's not doing it because he's got an ax to grind or proving who's in authority. He's doing it because he knows the way that will bring you life, liberty, freedom, and joy. And he wants to remove anything from you that will rob you of the abundant life that he has for you today. Proverbs 3.12 says this, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. And number four, a good God loves us unconditionally. I want you to catch that this morning, church. Radiant, listen to me. Every campus, listen to me this morning. God loves you regardless of your behavior. God doesn't love anybody in this room, including myself, more than anybody else in this room. You may be running from God. You may be angry at God. Can I tell you, God loves you right now just as much as he loves me. I cannot do anything that will cause him to be more in love with me. I cannot do anything that will cause him not to love me anymore. There's a difference between pleasure and love. I can please him more, I can hurt him and disappoint him, but I could never lose, uh, lose his love. Can somebody say amen? First John 4, 16 says it this way, and I love the verbiage, watch this. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. Wow, no, notice it doesn't say the love I have for God. It says the love that God has for us. You can know the love God has for you. You may be here today and you go, I don't know that God loves me. I'm telling you, God loves you just the way you are right now. And he loves you too much to let you continue to live in that pain and bondage. Right? So, so but... We can know it. We can know the love and we can rely on it. I'm so glad that it doesn't say I have to rely on my love for God. Because I'll be honest with you, there's some days that I just, I get up and I, I just want to read my Bible and spend time with the Lord and, and I just walk with the Lord in my mind and I'm just full, so full of love and emotion for God. But there's other days I don't want to read my Bible. There's other days that I haven't read my Bible. There are some days that are a little bit more difficult than others, but God's love for me is always the same. We can rely on his love for us. Isn't that good news, church? Why? Because he goes on to say, for God is love. 
There is nothing but love in him. God cannot have any other emotion toward you but that of love. He cannot give what he is not, and he is love and only love, and that love is designed to bring us to repentance, to change the way that we think so that we can know him in the intimacy that he desires for us to know. Can somebody say amen? Isn't that good news? So I want to close today by sharing with you a story. Some of you may be familiar with it, but I want to share with you a story. It's a true story that does a great job of revealing what a real father's love will do for his children. It's a story about a father who is willing to give everything and anything for the well-being and happiness of his disabled son. Some of you might know him. I'm talking about the father and son team of Dick and Rick White. When Rick was born in 1962, his parents possessed that typical excited expectation of first-time parents. But when they discovered that during Rick's birth, his umbilical cord had been wrapped around his neck and cut off the oxygen to his brain. Later, Rick was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And when he was eight months old, his father remembered, the doctor told us that we should put him away, that he would be a vegetable all of his life. But Rick's parents wouldn't do that. They were determined to raise him like any other child. And sometimes that was tough. See, Rick was a quadriplegic who couldn't speak because he had limited control of his tongue. But Rick's parents worked with him, teaching him everything they could and including him in all the family activities. And when Rick was 10, his life changed. Engineers from Tuff University created a device that enabled him to communicate by way of computer. The first words that he slowly and painstakingly punched out were the words, Go Bruins! That's when the family who had been following NHL Boston Bruins in the playoffs found out that he was actually a sports fan. In 1975, after a long battle, the family was able to get Rick into a public school where he excelled despite his physical limitations. And Rick's world would begin to change. It changed even more two years later when Rick found out that there was a fundraising 5K race that was being put on to help a young athlete who had been paralyzed in an accident. And he told his dad that he wanted to participate. So Dick, a Lieutenant Colonel in the Air National Guard, who was in his late 30s and out of shape, but he began to run and push his son in a modified wheelchair. And when he crossed the finish line, second to last, Dick recalled his son's flashed the biggest smile you had ever saw in your life. After the race, Rick painstakingly put out the message, Dad, I feel like I wasn't handicapped. And after that day, their lives would never be the same. So what does a father do when his son, who has never been out of a wheelchair, says that he loves to race? He becomes that boy's hands and feet. And that's the day that Team Hoyt was born. See, Dick got Rick a more sophisticated racing chair. And then the quadriplegic teenager and the out of shape dad began to run together and not casually. Before long, they were training seriously. 
And in 1981, they ran in their very first Boston Marathon, a race that they participated in for 20 straight years. After four years of running marathons, the two decided that they were ready for another challenge, triathlons, which combined swimming, cycling, and running. That was no small challenge since dad did not know how to swim, but he did. And dad explained, he's the one who has motivated me because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be out there competing. And what I'm doing is loaning Rick my arms and legs so that we can be out there competing with everybody else. Of all the races in the world, one is considered the toughest, the Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii. The race begins with three back-to-back legs, a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike race, and a full marathon run of 26.2 miles. It's an excruciating test of stamina for any individual. And in 1989, Dick and Rick completed the race together. For the swimming portion, Dick towed a small boat with Rick in it. Then he biked for the 112 miles with Rick in a seat on his bicycle handlebars. And by the time they got to the running leg, Dick was exhausted. But he, had to, he kept, just kept thinking to himself the words of his son, when I'm running, Dad, my disability has disappeared. It's the only place where I truly feel as an equal. And due to all the positive feedback, I do not feel handicapped at all. Rather, I feel like the intelligent person that I know that I am without limits. And when you're winning, nothing hurts. But continue by continuing to run, Dick would be winning for his son. And that's what makes all the training and pain worthwhile. Dick loaded Rick into his running chair and off they went to finish the Ironman. The, the pair finished the race in a little over 13 hours and 45 minutes, a very strong time. Since then, Dad passed in May, March 17th in 2021 at the age of 80 and Rick his son just passed less than a month ago on May 22nd at the age of 61 however they both were able to make a huge impact on countless lives Rick had earned a college degree and he worked at Boston University helping design computer systems for people with disability and he did this while competing with his dad Dick and Rick Hoyt ran in 1,130 races. They ran 72 marathons, 257 triathlons, and six Ironman distance. Dick Hoyt is a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father who will literally lay down his life to see us as his sons and his daughters succeed and experience the full joy of the abundant life. Dad is quoted as saying, there is nothing in this world that the both of us cannot conquer together. And I've come here today, Radiant, to remind you that our Heavenly Father is behind us and there is nothing in this world that we can't conquer. He has guaranteed to us as his child that we will have victory and success and we can win. Amen? Come on, give Jesus better praise. (sighs) 
Father, I thank you for my radiant family. And I pray for those who still struggle with an image that would cause them to run from you, to be afraid of you. I ask today, Lord, that you would reveal to them the Father, the Father who so loved them that he came to die on the cross for you. I ask today, Lord, that you would transform our lives, that we would forever, ever be changed by your love. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I understand way too well what you're talking about. I've always been afraid of God. I always felt like he was angry at me and mad at me and was punishing me. But today, I believe differently. And I need Jesus into my life. I want to come to my Heavenly Father today and ask his strength for his help, for his forgiveness. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up real high all over this building and other places as well? God bless you. Yes. Real high, real high, real high. God bless you. Father, today, I ask that you would take us into your arms, that you would forgive us of our sin. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us again as a loving Father who is for us and not against us, who will supply and meet every need And Father, I bless every man in this room. I bless every father in this room. Lord, that they would depict your Father's love toward their wife and for their children, that they would be a beautiful example of who you are. Lord, we thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can you give Jesus praise this morning? God bless you, Radiant. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.